No, I've not started yet. Good to go? Guys, thank you for having me. It's um, honest, genuinely a pleasure to come. Um, I was just trying to remember whilst I was sitting down. I think I, it is the fourth time I've been, so I've probably been more times than some of you to your own church. And uh, uh, it's, honestly, I think I've probably been probably about once a year, something like that, um, over the last four or five years. And so I've seen you in different venues as well, so you've obviously moved to a new venue. And so it's great to be here and to see it and to put faces to names and to put the whole thing in context because I hear stuff from Owen and then I come and I see what the place really looks like and all that kind of stuff. It's also great because um, as well as knowing a whole bunch of you <coughs> from being here at several times, um, you also get that really small world sense because uh, over in the corner here are Michael and Muriel Anns who are Pauline's parents who happened to lead the church that I was born into um, back in Swanley um, a little while ago. Um, and Pauline used to be my babysitter, which I like to mention each time I come, because uh, it highlights the difference in age. So uh, Owen mentioned about speaking on uh, the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to do, and then we're going to have a bit of time to pray, hopefully, at the end. Uh, it's not, I guess it's more of an encouragement and exhortation rather than uh, loads of teaching. We're going to read a scripture in a minute from Ephesians, but I mainly, uh, I guess... I guess I hope I come as a friend to you as a church, and Proverbs says, says that um, you can welcome a strike from a friend. <laughs> so I, I'm going to try and get under your skin a little bit, and uh, in an encouraging, loving kind of way, of course, and I hope you receive it as a friend um, rather than anything else. So let me just let me read and then pray quickly, and then we'll get going. Ephesians 5. Um, you don't need to look it up. It's just, I'm just going to read one or two verses. It's verses 17 18 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, so let me pray. Father, thank you for the chance to be here. Thank you for this new venue. Thank you for the, the work that you're doing in the hearts of people here. Thank you for the testimonies of your faithfulness. Thank you that when we come to speak about the work of the Holy Spirit today, Lord, we're not, uh, we're not just starting something new. There's years, there's decades of the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives here today, and we honour you for it. We thank you for what's been built into hearts and minds and families and this church. Lord, we honour you, but we are, as someone said earlier, we're hungry for more of all that you have for us, and I pray that today would be a step into what you've got for Beacon Church in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to kind of launch off of that verse. Um, is it okay if we just turn that off? Because it just flashes in my eyes otherwise. <laughs> okay. That's it. Now it's off. Um, uh, launch into this, into I guess a kind of, yeah, just general stuff on the Holy Spirit. Uh, what this verse tells us is that being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of foolishness, drunkenness, debauchery, missing God's will and wasting your life. And so therefore, it's something that we should all pay attention to and listen up when we read it and be impacted by. The danger for a lot of Christians, and obviously I don't, I don't know most of you very well, so I can say things freely without, and if they hit home, then I don't even know if they are or not. The danger for a lot of Christians is they live right in the middle of that verse. So it starts by saying, don't be foolish, don't get drunk with wine. 
And that's where a lot of Christians live. There's a whole load of things that you know when you become a Christian, I shouldn't do this, and I have to stop doing that, and I shouldn't do that anymore, and that's what being a Christian means. And you basically kind of live in the boring middle place in that verse where you know what you're not supposed to do, but you haven't embraced in your heart and your life the fullness of what God calls you into when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the opposite of drunkenness, debauchery, a life full of sin, foolishness, and wasting your time is not just avoiding foolishness, sin, debauchery, and wasting your time and trying to live a morally neutral life until Jesus returns and rescues you from it. The opposite is living a life full of the Holy Spirit, which means full of God's power, life, and as we'll go and see more and more what that means. And I guess that's what I want to kind of provoke you towards, in, particularly in your individual lives, but the consequence of that will be for you as a whole church as well. So I'm going to do a bit of kind of theological background and then just go really personal um, and practical. Um, I want to do theological background because I know that some people will understand more by the phrase be filled with the Spirit than others. And so I want to make sure we're all on the same page. And so I'm going to trace just through the whole Bible, really, that the theme of the presence of God just really quickly. You may know it starts right at the very beginning when God starts and he creates and he builds a garden. It's called Eden and he puts people to live in it. And the thing that's most remarkable about the garden is that God lives there with them. And so the, you know, they kind of they do their jobs and they do all the things that they do in the Garden of Eden, whatever that was. Um, and then it says, and God came to walk with them in the cool of the day. And so the garden was, theologians call it like a garden temple. It was kind of like a garden, but it was kind of like a temple because it was a place of worship. It was a place of fellowship with God. And God himself came and entered the garden where they lived so that they could live with God. And so there was this amazing sense of God's presence on the earth in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. No spoiling of sin, no problem of brokenness, no falling out with each other or with God. Just perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. And so that was as God created in the beginning. And then you probably know the story that they sinned and therefore they were banished from the garden. And uh, they, there were swords that kept them out from coming back into where the presence of God was, where the life of God was. And they were separated from God's presence. And then as you go through the Old Testament, at key moments uh, in Israel's history, they had different things going on. So whilst Moses was leading the people in the wilderness, uh, God said to him, well, you, you're kind of a people, you're my people together, so you need to build a tabernacle. And so they built this massive tent uh, that was really impressive and lovely colours and amazing. And they'd pack it up each tent. They'd, every time they'd move, they'd have to pack it down, move it along and put it up again. And it was where the the Ark of the Covenant lived. And when they finished building it the first time, it, it says the glory of the Lord came down and filled the tabernacle. And so for them as a people, part of what defined them as the people of God was uh, they knew that they were called by God, they knew they were descended by Abraham, but fundamentally, descended from Abraham, fundamentally they knew the presence of God is among us. So that when we stop and when we set up camp, right in the middle is this tent with the Ark of the Covenant in and visibly and demonstrably the glory of God has come to fill it. And that they did that for a little while until they got into Israel, into the Promised Land. And then after a while, God basically spoke to David and Solomon, said, I need to build a temple. And so the tabernacle effectively got replaced with a, a 
proper big old temple, and it was amazing, and it was impressive, but it took years to build and cost loads of money, and when it had finished, they did always sacrificing, and then if you ever read the story in Kings, it says, then the glory of God came and filled the temple, and it was so intense that the priests couldn't do their job. They couldn't serve in the temple because the glory of God was overwhelming. And so, again, the people of Israel knew we're God's people because right at the center of who we are is this place where the God's glory, God's presence, something demonstrable, physical, life-changing, empowering, lives in the middle of us. And that was very defining for their understanding of who they were. And then, as the story goes on, uh, eventually, as the people fall into sin and rebellion against God, God's judgment comes against them. The temple, in the end, gets... Um, ransacked, everything gets destroyed, and they're kind of, they're without a temple, then they build another one, but it's not quite as good, and, and so they're kind of left in this place, kind of wondering, what is going on? Where's God in all of this? And then Jesus turns up and starts saying some amazing things. He says, you could destroy this temple, and I'll build it again in three days. And they're like, How? <laughs> You know, that would have saved a lot of time. You know, they're, they're just like, this is some kind of blasphemy. He's talking about destroying the temple. But John, the gospel writer, says when Jesus said this, he was speaking about his body because he was helping them to understand a quite a profound theological point. He is now like the new temple. So his body, which is going to rise again in three days, that, his body is like a temple because he is God himself come among them. And in fact, in John 1, it says that describing Jesus' life and ministry. It says he tabernacled amongst them. So it's kind of using this language to make the point when Jesus came, it was God himself among the people. And therefore, when Jesus was there, you could see, well, that's the presence of God, not in a building, not in a box, not in a tent, not in a garden, in a person. And the the glory of God, the presence of God, the, the majesty and manifestness of God kind of squeezed in into a living, breathing person who you could poke and talk to and walk with. And, and so it, that's why the disciples said, this is amazing. You know, we saw, we, we touched, we felt, we saw the divine presence manifest in a human body. And then some of that you know, maybe particularly the stuff about, yeah, Jesus is amazing. Yeah, I got that. You know, uh, But then you get to the end of Jesus' ministry and he says, which if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, what can only have been the most ridiculous statement ever, he said, guys, I'm going, but it's better for you that I go. And there, you know, if sarcasm existed in the first century in Israel, that would have been the time for it. You know, they would have been like, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, it's better that you go because, I mean, you're God and you're here and you've been teaching us and we've left everything to follow you, by the way, and now all the Roman authorities hate us, but you're going. And, you know, what about God's purposes and, you know, the kind of Israel and God's kingdom and all the stuff that you've been saying and doing for the last three years? You know, they, they would have been like, what do you, how can it possibly be better if God, the glorious one who's thrown stars into space, has become kind of come into a human body and is standing there next to you? How can it be better for you for that man to go anywhere. It's kind of like, no, it doesn't make sense, but the whole point of what Jesus was saying was, it's better for you that I go, because when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And so for them, that must have been just mind-blowing, that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, 
who dwelt in a garden, who was in a tent, who seemed to come to a temple and now has been in the Son of God himself and walked with us. What, now the Holy Spirit's going to come and Jesus described him as another counselor, another one like me is going to walk with you. He's going to lead you into the truth just like I have. He'll, he'll come and empower you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. It's not going to be like you're without God, without a father looking after you. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to do all the things for you that, it, that Jesus did for them in their lifetime. And so their understanding, their expectation, their sense of privilege and wonder at the fact that the Holy Spirit was going to come would have been immense because the comparison was having Jesus himself live with them. So I want to just ask three questions to try and be as practical as we can. Uh, the first one is what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? What, what, what effects would you expect to see in your life if the Holy Spirit was working in you and changing you? And the different ways that the Bible speaks about that. It talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's different references. And I just sat down and kind of off the top of my head, actually, I just wrote down a list of what does the Bible expect to be worked into my life when the Holy Spirit is around? And this is my list. I think they're all biblical. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gifts of healing, miracles, tongues and interpretations, prophecy, discernment, true worship, power, boldness, freedom, revelation of the truth, awareness of God's love and awareness of his fatherhood of me personally, wisdom, new birth, comfort, fruitfulness, conviction of sin, power for living free from sin, freedom from fear, a longing for God's kingdom, help with prayer, personal renewal, hope, and fellowship with God. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. <laughs> when I wrote that list, I was like, that sounds great. There is nothing on that list I don't want. Everything on that list I need. And Jesus' promise is that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to bring it to bear in my heart and in my life. And a couple of things on this, what happens when we're being filled with the Spirit. Because you probably won't be able to remember that whole list very easily, I looked at it again and I thought, what, how do you sum that up? All those different things, how do you really sum it up? And the essence of being filled with the Spirit and having the Spirit working in you is God's power, energy that's of God's, not your own, coming to you to make your life more like the life of Jesus. Because everything that you read in that list, that's what, that's what Jesus' life was like. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, miracles, healings, hope, help with prayer. I mean, Jesus just had all that stuff in his life. And the promise of the Holy Spirit coming among us is that we get conformed, our lives get conformed more, more like his now, normally, we hear words like being conformed to Christ in a negative way. Like, you think, Sancti sanctification. You're like, hallelujah, I'm going to be sanctified. Because you associate it with hardship and difficulty and giving stuff up and conviction. But sanctification is being made into the likeness of Christ. 
And it means all those things, all of which I think most of us were thinking, yes, please, come get worked into us. Even if sometimes it is a painful process, the goal is glorious. And so what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that your life starts to look more and more like the life of Jesus in the way that you live it. Just one other observation on this, uh, and that is this, what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm just, just throw this out there that in my experience, being filled with the Holy Spirit can sometimes be a very dramatic experience, but sometimes that process of being conformed into the likeness of Christ is much more of a process. And in my experience, most people have a preference for one or the other. And if you, if you only lean into your preference, then you're in quite, actually quite big trouble. So some people, they love a Holy Spirit shake-up, yeah? They kind of, you know, if we do a response at the end, come forward, they're going to be kind of kicking the chairs away and coming down. And some people love the kind of, you know, kind of slap on the forehead, you know, kind of receive the Holy Ghost, you know, kind of. Some people, they love that and it kind of, it sparks their faith and they receive the Holy Spirit, but they struggle to embrace the day-by-day process where the Holy Spirit is changing character and working boldness and power and self-control and truth and love and joy. They struggle to embrace all that. If they've got a problem in their life, they want it to be solved in the last five minutes of the meeting when they walk to the front and someone with magic hands does the job for them. And all my problems with self-control are over. And there's a leaning in that direction and an unwillingness to embrace the other. Some people have the opposite problem where they're kind of all about the process. You know, I've got a problem. Well, God will solve it in the next 15 years. By ongoing patient application of the word, I will inch by inch make my way through. And they kind of love that, or they're more, they're more willing to embrace the kind of bit-by-bit bit process of what God will do. And something in them reacts against the breaking in of God's power. And in my, in my experience... Personally, I feel like I've, the, the experience of receiving the Spirit has had to be both. And as soon as you only do one, you, you know, you're like a one-winged bird. You just kind of go around in circles. And I know a lot of Christians like that. They, they come up, get prayed for, bang. Next week, man, I need to be prayed for again, bang. Next week, and it's just like, I don't know which way you'd go if you were only a wing, one-winged bird. Which way would you go? The way of the wing? The other way. The way of the wing. No. And it's just like, next, next conference, bang! Oh, man, I'm completely changed. My life is transformed forever. Until the next conference, bang! You know, and I know people like that, and that is a real problem for Christians. They never mature because they just live in that world where everything has to be solved with a Holy Spirit, bang! And I know Christians over here who who kind of miss out on moments of real breakthrough in their life because either there's fear or trepidation or there's something that's like, I, I don't know what will happen if I do that. I, I don't want to start quivering around like some of the other people do. I, I'm, ju- I'm just over here, read the word, you know. And so they miss something of the power of God that's available for breakthrough, which can take you from here to here in a moment. And then... You go a bit more. <laughs> and then, and so you've, my encouragement to you, if, 
Maybe you're all perfectly balanced individuals. You all follow Owen, so I'm sure you're not. But <laughs> the, um, if you know, if you, you know, if that kind of caricature, in a sense, kind of speaks of you, then you need to do something about that. You need to be willing to embrace the Holy Spirit's work in whatever way he chooses to do it um, and not be picky and fussy about how you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and what he's going to do. So what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit is amazing things. And I, I, I read that list because I want to whet your appetite so that if you're not currently hungry for more of God and more for, of his Holy Spirit in you, that you would be. Because there's no person in the room that doesn't want more peace in their heart. And there's no person in the room that wouldn't be happy to go away with a bit more joy in their life. The path towards getting that is embracing the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So it kind of leads on to the, like, the next really obvious logical question is, why do we not ask and receive more of the Holy Spirit? That was my in instinctive reaction. When I, read, when I wrote that list and then read it, I was like, why don't I ask God more for the Holy Spirit to work in me? Because there doesn't seem to be a downside. It just seems to be a list. I, I tried to count, but I couldn't concentrate on both things at the same time. Something like 30 things in there is like, there's 30 amazing traits that I want God to work in me. Why do we not ask and receive more of the Holy Spirit? So here's five reasons why I think I might not or you may not. First one is this. Our vision of the Christian life is shaped by experience and not scripture. If you have grown up in a church or grown up in a family or grown up <clears throat> with your understanding of what Christianity should look like, if you're that kind of, like I said earlier, you live in the middle of that verse in Ephesians 5 where Christianity is don't do those things and that makes you a good Christian, then you, you, just, you may never have had your eyes lifted to see what Jesus has invited you into when he saved you. It, it just may not even really occur to you that the life that Jesus has won you for includes adventurous faith, the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit working in you, personal transformation into godliness. If that isn't part of your expectation, that's what Christianity should be like, dynamic and faith-filled and life-changing and community impacting. If that isn't what's in your thinking, then you can just, well, if Christianity is going to church on a Sunday, and it may be that that's you, or it may be that you're at the next stage, you're like the radical Christian. Christianity is going to church on a Sunday and a Tuesday night. You know, it's kind of like you, you take your kind of, your understanding of what Christianity is is shaped by what you've been in rather than when I read the Bible, the vision that is put before me of what Christianity should look like is, is different. It's not... I don't even have to go to church on a Sunday or on a Tuesday night at half past seven or whatever, you know. But what it, what it invites me into is a life full of devotion to God and people being saved and people being healed and personal transformation and Jesus being very real in my heart and me knowing deep in my heart I'm loved by God as a son. And, and when you read the scriptures, you realize that is what I'm invited into. And therefore you're understanding of what Christianity should look like gets changed. So your vision of the Christian life can be shaped by experience and not scripture. And some people are very happy with their experience of Christianity. They very much want Christianity to stay as 
I go to church on a Sunday, I go to church on a Tuesday night. Don't invade my private space. That's their, that is, people, some people will resist anything different because they like to control their lives. Maybe that's my other point. <laughs> Second one, we prefer the comfort of our lives to the adventure of faith. That's kind of what I was getting onto. Some people actually very much, I'm quite happy actually, leave me and my family to ourselves, we'll come, we'll do our bit, pay our tithe, we'll, be, we'll serve on a Sunday once a month, but don't, don't invade my personal space, don't, don't challenge my heart, don't try and upset the status quo, and there's a kind of like a control issue. I want to keep control. I don't want God to come in because I don't know what he's going to do. And so I, will, I want to protect it as it is. And so that we, therefore we resist the Holy Spirit because the adventure of faith just freaks us out. Third reason, we fill our lives with worldly stuff and we've got no appetite for the fullness of God. So there's wounds of a friend, yeah? <laughs> we fill our lives with worldly things so we've got no appetite left. You know, you have that, uh, ever have that thing? I have this thing when I go to a barbecue, and I, like, I love the idea of going to a barbecue. I'm like, I love meat, you know? And then you get there, and you're like, ooh, Pringles, you know, and ooh, Doritos with salsa, you know? A bit of hummus, nice, take that. You know, maybe some vegetables and stuff, a few more Pringles, you know? And then you get to the point, oh, the burger's already, and you're like, do you know what? I'm not even full. I'm not even hungry. I'm kind of, I'm in that middle ground this is, I'm sure some people will have this more than others, but you know when you're in that middle ground, you're like, I don't know if I'm hungry or full. I'm kind of this weird neither. Like, I don't want to eat, but I don't feel full. You know what? You know, there's a few kind of nodding heads. I think that's what happens in our Christian life. So, so much. It's like we fill ourselves with worldly stuff, and then we get to a point where we feel like, I don't really feel hungry for God, but I don't feel full. I don't feel satisfied with life. I don't have a real hunger for God. Why is that? I mean, I kind of nick that, that quote of John Piper. He says, we stuff our soul with worldly things so that there's no appetite left for the glory of God. Well, I, you know, I do football here. I watch a bit of telly there. and I see my mates here. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm just saying what happens is we, f we fill our lives with them so that we're not, we're kind of this kind of weird semi-content, but not really, and then we're like, is this Christian? Is this it? Is this fullness of life? You know, is this what Jesus promised? I'm not sure. But there's no space in our lives because we kind of half fill it with loads of other stuff. Which is why the Bible encourages stuff like fasting. Because when you fast, what you realize, you know, it's a bit like when you go to a barbecue, what you really need to do is just not eat for a little while and then you'll be hungry again. And then you can go for the burger. Come on. You know? And there's something about fasting that does that as well. It's like, when I get rid of food, which kind of semi-satisfies me a little bit, I realize, oh, I, I'm hungry for something. <laughs> Not just physically, but spiritually as well. And so some of you might actually just need to get rid of some stuff. Not because it's even intrinsically wrong. It's not morally evil. It's not something that you shouldn't be doing in and of itself. You just need to clear out your lives a bit from clutter so that what's left is... I need God now because I'm not covering up the ache with all this other stuff. I'm not self-medicating with food or I'm not avoiding my kind of lack of peace by spending lots of time with other people. I'm facing it head on. 
And so we fill our lives with worldly stuff. We've got no appetite for the fullness of God. Fourth reason is legalism. One reason that we don't ask and receive more of the Holy Spirit is that in our, in our minds, in our mentality, we think, well, I'm, when I improve myself a little bit, then, I'll, then it stands to reason that God will then give me more of his Holy Spirit. Uh, you kind of like the clues in the name, yeah? The Holy Spirit's holy. Therefore, the more holy I live my life, then, you know, the more willing God's going to be to come close to me. And there's a logic in that, and it's completely flawed. It's the opposite to the dynamics of the gospel. And this is where, I mean, said you've been doing a series all about the gospel and how it impacts and everything. This is where one area where understanding the gospel helps you understand the Holy Spirit and ministry in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he taught on prayer, he said, um, after he did his bit of teaching on prayer, he said, ask and you'll receive and seek and you'll find and knock and the door will be opened. And then he says, which of you fathers, if your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake? And, you know, and you're like, none of us. <laughs> and Jesus' point is, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, that is a gospel dynamic at work. Jesus is not saying, listen, guys, if you, if you just sort your lives out a little bit, then God might be willing to, you know, pay back time. That's not how it works. Jesus says, well, what's the dynamic? Well, understand who God is and how he treats you in the gospel. So in the gospel, you've been accepted as a son or a daughter. And so therefore, when you're asking God for the Holy Spirit, you know, my kids don't come to me and say, Dad, I've behaved well today. Can I have a biscuit? They just come in. I want a biscuit! <laughs> or because they're a little bit clever now. Can I have four biscuits? <laughs> you know. Because they're just, they're kids. They ask, their, they know. Relationship here is assumed. I don't have to prove myself to get relationship with God or with my father. That is the kind of the basis. I wake up in the morning, my dad's there. I wake up in the morning, I don't have to prove anything. That's the nature of healthy father child relationship and and Jesus says that's the dynamics of receiving the Holy Spirit you don't come to God and saying look God I haven't sinned all week please can I have a bit of the Holy Spirit you say God I'm yours I want some, some of the Holy Spirit please and Jesus says how much more will your father give that give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him even though you're evil he says even though you're evil you won't give your kids bad presents how much more will the good God in heaven who loves you and has brought you into the family of God therefore respond to your requests for more of the Holy Spirit? Please don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean if you come forward that you will necessarily shake or a shaft of light will come down from heaven because we're not just talking about those dramatic moments. We're talking about the dynamic of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Um, and the last thing, Last reason we don't ask is, is fear and confusion. We just don't know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If, you've not, if you're kind of new to certain kind of church, charismatic church life, you're just, the, the whole thing's just weird, you know. In my old church, we just sang a hymn, you know, like this didn't happen, and so the whole thing's just a bit, a bit freaky. And, and so, which again kind of leads me on, to, my, to the last question, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit if, if it's confusion or it's uncertainty? And I think probably the helpful thing for me is that verse we read at the beginning contrasted being drunk with wine with being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I don't think that was an accident uh, because back in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit first came at Pentecost, the very first coming of the Holy Spirit, um, Peter had to stand up and say to the crowds, these guys are not drunk. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a, a kind of biblical contrast, which is helpful for us, particularly in this point, because if I was to ask you, how do you get drunk? I won't do a show of hands. But you know, most of you would know. How do you get drunk? You just drink alcohol. But it's not just that. Is it? You keep drinking alcohol. So it's not just that you have a drink. It's that you keep having a drink. And that even in Ephesians here, the, the tense of the verse, it says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Greek, the tense is present continuous, which means but be being filled. Keep, keep being filled. So it's not just have a drink. It's keep drinking. Because if you have a drink, alcohol, you might, for a little while, and then you're kind of, back again. <laughs> and it, that's what we can be like. You know, we kind of receive something of the Holy Spirit and then default back to our lives, living independently of his help and strength. And so actually, one of the most practical things, if you want more of the Holy Spirit working in you as an individual, one of the most practical things I can say to you is just keep Asking and doing things that means that mean that the Holy Spirit will be at work in you. And it's not I'm not profound, <laughs> but most of us actually forget to ask God for more of the Holy Spirit helping us because we just get on with our lives. Here's five things, ways that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, really obvious ones that I'm sure all of you know. Read the Bible. Jesus said, My words are spirit and they're life. And so when you read the scriptures, you should be reading them with, with a sense of anticipation. God himself authored these words. God himself will speak to me as I read them. And even if you don't start twitching, you know, when you're reading them, you can anticipate, I'm reading the words of God. I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to be at work in me as a result of this. Obey the Holy Spirit. When you get a prompting, whether it's to kind of prophesy or whether it's to stop doing that. If, if you start to feel uncomfortable in your conscience when you go to eat and snack on lots of food, don't snack on the food. If you feel uncomfortable in your conscience about watching a certain film, don't watch the film. Lean into, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust what he's saying is good for me. And as you obey the Holy Spirit, it means if, well, you've only got, you've got a choice between obeying him and resisting him. If you resist him, he will probably back off. If you obey him, he will minister to you, minister to you more and more. Third thing is speak in tongues. If you've got any questions about that, you can ask Owen another time or someone else in the church. But speaking in tongues, uh, the Bible's, Paul the Apostle says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. And when you do it, you're building yourself up in the Holy Spirit. And so you can do that. I speak in tongues lots. When I'm, I did it earlier when I was on the tube and I started shaking. I was, whoa, I don't want to freak everyone out. Anyway, that's another story. Repentance. When you know that you've sinned, repent and humble yourself before God. And the, the final thing is pray. And uh, I know some of you are, are very mature Christians, and so this will seem like I'm you know, teaching you to suck eggs or something. But this is how I pray to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Okay? <laughs> That's it. 
So I say that because a lot of people will still be thinking, I don't, I don't, how do I, uh, just ask. Lord, Father, you said that I can ask and you'll do it. So please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Ask him 10 times a day. Ask him 100 times a day. Set yourself, a, make your alarm go off every five minutes if you need to. Just find ways that are prompts to just keep, I need more of you, Holy Spirit. I need you at work in my heart. Whether it's the process or it's the drama, I need the Holy Spirit more and more. And as part of prayer, also comes in the laying on of hands. Because when you read through the book of Acts in particular and other Bible books of the Bible, you see that there's an association where people pray for you and lay hands on you, then that is a, can be a particular moment where the Holy Spirit comes in power and fills people and words of knowledge and prophecies come and anointing is imparted. And so go for that as much as you can. Go for it as much as you like, but don't make it the only thing you go for. Go, it's like drinking. If you want to get really drunk, I, mean, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Owen. There may be some real traditionalists in the room. But if you want to get really drunk, <laughs> the way to do it would be to have five different types of alcohol. <laughs> so you have like a beer, then some spirits, and then, you know, take some wine, you know, kind of really kind of just, that's the way to get really drunk. The way to, to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit probably is to read the scriptures and obey the Spirit and speak in tongues and repent when the Spirit convicts you and keep asking in prayer. And give yourself to those things, and the Holy Spirit will work in you and transform you. Last thing, and then I'd love just—I'd love just to pray, um, and just ask God to lead us. Uh, just really, just for you two guys to think, what would it look like? Just to imagine and become visionaries for a few minutes. What would it look like for Beacon Church if you all did this? What, what would be different? What, what's at stake as well? Like, is this just, if you want to be happy, then do it. You know, is this just individual? It's not, is it? Because actually you corporately being filled with the Spirit can never really reach its potential unless you as individuals are walking in the Holy Spirit. You can't, you're not going to be a, remarkably spirit-filled church if individually you're kind of ignoring the Holy Spirit all week. So the implications of you individually are massive for you as a church as well. What would it look like if Beacon was a church where as individuals you were constantly coming to God and asking for his work within you? What, what would that end up looking like? I think it would, look, it would end up looking like the church in the book of Acts, which when the Holy Spirit came and filled them, it says they were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the fellowship, to prayer, to the breaking of bread. God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Miraculous signs and wonders were done amongst the apostles and the fear of God was on the people around, but still they kept joining anyway. People sold their possessions and goods and gave to those who were in need. Many priests were being added to the faith. New churches were being planted. Leaders were being raised up. The poor were served among them. Anyone? <laughs> yeah, that's why, I, uh, that's why you're here, I think. Many of you, at least. It's for that kind of internal and external impact. And actually, the Holy Spirit is the key to all of that. And so grasping the gospel 
that I'm forgiven, that I'm free, that I'm adopted, and therefore I can ask for the Holy Spirit as much as anyone else in the room. Whoever I am, we're all sons and daughters of God, and therefore we've got equal access to the Father to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Grasping the gospel and then living in the fullness of it by making the most of it and pursuing God for the Holy Spirit will be the best thing you could ever do for your life and the best thing you could ever do for this church. More than just being a faithful servant, if you ask God for more of the Holy Spirit, that, will, that is the best thing you could possibly do for this church and for the community that you live in. So I'd love, I'd love to pray and, um, and just, wow, I think it would be good to ask God to come and, you know, fill us with the Holy Spirit. And, but I think the place to start would be actually with repentance. Uh, we've had some Bible already, and we've had some tongues earlier, even if it wasn't you. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, in, in the mix of things, it would be good to have some repentance, because I think of some of the things that we've just gone through, some, there are just some areas that probably in your life, for many of you at least, I'm not saying everyone, but for some of you, there's just some things... Do you know what? Yeah, I've been trying to control my life. I've been kind of backing off God's intervention because I like things comfortable as they are. And, you, need, you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal, but you need to repent because that's not faithfulness to God. That's not trusting him. It's not obedience before him. Um, it may be the kind of worldly stuff thing where you realize, that's it. I, my life is full, but it's full of crisps and nachos and hummus instead of burgers <laughs> it's not full of the glory of god it's just full of world it's just full of loads of other stuff that means because i'm doing that i'm not doing this it's not wrong but i, want, I need to get rid of some of it so that my hunger for god increases and i've got the time and the energy and the motivation to pursue him as the source of satisfaction in life and so you might just need to repent if he's not been if you've not been enthroning him as first and foremost, that you've been filling your life with other stuff. And there may be some other things as well. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys to stand, but if you stand, then I think that probably means you're fair game for being prayed for. So if you, I don't know everyone here, so I don't know, there might be someone here as a guest, not even a Christian, you're like, you don't have to feel under pressure. You just might feel like, I don't, I don't want anyone to come to pray for me at the moment, then that's fine. You can just stay sitting. But if you feel like you want to respond to God and maybe just either repent of something specific or just actively say, God, I want more of you at work in my life, then I would love you guys to stand and then we'll pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us. Maybe the band will play in a minute, I don't know. Um, but I think just even before they do, I would love just for you where you are to deal with God. And you don't have to wait for someone to come to lay hands on you for you to start engaging with God. The, the main thing that needs to happen is in some kind of interaction in your heart where you need to either repent of something or repent of a lack of desire for God and turn it around then and say, God, I want more of you at work in me. And that's actually something that you need to do. No individual laying hands on you can replace 
or make that happen. That's a conscious decision of your will that needs to happen very much in the, at the center of who you are. So I would love to invite you to do that where you are. Uh, and that's why I'll be quiet for a minute so that I'm not distracting you whilst you make that response before God. And then we'll, uh, we'll pray together. like I just want to add an, one extra response and it's just what I mentioned at the end <clears throat> um, I said what this church needs from you most of all is not just faithful service it's an appetite for God and um, I don't say that in any way to demean those of you that have faithfully served I think that's a wonderful thing it's a Christ-like thing it's genuinely a thing of beauty but I do, I do still think it's true that sometimes we can replace our hunger for God with uh, an, almost like a loyalty to the church and a willingness to serve. And you see, oh, other people do the Holy Spirit thing. I, I'm just here every week putting out the chairs or you know, I'm the one on kids, you know, or, or whatever it is. And uh, as noble as that can sound, in the end it cuts off the life of God from you. And... Uh, so I want to just encourage you, if that's you, just to, I don't know if it's a repentance thing, it may not be a sinful thing, it might just be, you just in your heart need to change that and just say to God that you're first and foremost, you're after him. That your main way of serving God is not by practical service in the church, it's uh, in your relationship with him. First and foremost, he's called you to be a son or a daughter, not a servant. He's called you to be his friend, Jesus said. I call you friends now. You're no longer servants. And uh, that switch to being a son or a daughter is very key to them being in the right place to receive the Holy Spirit and to receive God's joy and life and power over you. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, I feel that the Lord led me to three different um, types of people. Um, and the first type of person was a person that feels that, like giving up. Um, that they've done that, they've done that Holy Spirit thing and, and it didn't make much or it didn't make any difference to them and they just don't feel that that's something that just works for them. So they sort of write themselves off. And... Um,
the Lord would say to you, you're, I just love you as you are. You just need to come to me as you are. And just let me take control. And, uh, yeah, there's a point where I think, well, actually, we can never sort ourselves out <laughs> to be good enough to come to, to Christ, uh, to be good enough to come and receive the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, just come to him. Just come to him as you are. He takes you as you are. Mm. And he, he will just use you. And he will just pour out his spirit on you. And then the third type of person was the, the person that struggles. And I could just see people within themselves because um, they just keep on and keep on and it, they've been going a long time and it all feels too much and it feels that they're quite worn out and quite tired by it and the Lord would say to you I see your struggle your struggle doesn't go unnoticed because I see your struggle and I love you and I will come and I will take away that struggle. And it might be a work that takes um, a long time to get going and a long time to be seen through. It might not be the instant answer. But God does see that struggle. And God would want to be part of who you are and help you in that struggle. Mm. I just, I'm just going to pray <clears throat> um, for all of us and then I think it would probably be just be good for people to feel free um, sensitively to pray for one another. But, uh, Father, I want to pray for this church and uh, for each individual here right now. Thank you that you are a Father who loves to give good gifts. You've even said it to us. You've even encouraged us to ask you. In fact, you, all the way through, the scriptures encourage us to ask you. And you said, how, how can it be that now, that now that God has given us his one and only son, how will he now not give us all good things along with him? How would it make sense for God to give up his son to the cross and then not be willing to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people? And so, God, we, with the logic of the gospel and, Lord, the faith that you've put in our hearts, we ask you, Father, to come and pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, to come and stir up our hearts, to stir up faith, Lord, to work character into us, to set us free from sin and from deception, Lord, that keeps us living a sub-Christian life. 
Lord, to empower us with the fullness of God, living not in a temple somewhere, but living within us. Lord, we ask you, Father, come and fill us, I pray. Come and fill us. I pray you'd stir up the Spirit of God within Beacon Church, Lord, and that many would uh, walk in the Spirit, that day by day there'd be a hunger for you that would uh, cause prayers and Bible readings and repentance and all kinds of things, just as people keep pursuing you for more of you in their life. I pray for it. In the name of Jesus, we invite you, O God. It would be good to pray and to pray for one another. In a sense, there have been lots of words. Kim brought some very specific words. And it may be that one of those um, just spoke to you and, and you want prayer for that. Or it may be that one of the things that Stu talked about has really hit home. Uh, what hit home to me was that the idea that we fill up our lives with so many other things, that, that we're no longer hungry for him. And that's scary, that I would fill my life with so many things and not be hungry for God. I can understand why the unbeliever does that, because they don't know him, but that I would do that? That I would do that? Operate in exactly the same way as someone who doesn't know him and fill my life up with so many things that I no longer need him. I no longer feel the need for him. Maybe you need to respond to that, but we're just going to respond. Maybe you just want to lift your hand where you are if you want someone to come and pray with you. We're quite informal in how we do it. Just be wise in how you do it, but we're informal in how we do it. And uh, Maybe Matt and Elise would just, just sing quietly something and we just get about the business of of praying for one another and inviting the Holy Spirit among us. Because we worked out a long time ago, didn't we, that unless the Holy Spirit visits this church, it's a pointless exercise. Planting a church in Brixton without the Holy Spirit is pointless. It is meaningless. It carries nothing. We can't even pretend to do church unless he is among us. So he needs to be among us, but he needs to be in you and he needs to be in me. So if you want prayer, just, just lift your hand where you are or turn to the person next to you if you know them. And let's just, let's just begin to pray for one another. If you know you want to respond to something specific, maybe you want Kim or Stu to specifically pray for you because of something they've said, then just go and ask them. Can you, just, can you pray for me? Um, let's, let's be about praying for one another, lingering in the presence of God. Let's... Let's begin to move and do that now uh, whilst we're here. Uh, Matt, if you just begin to sing something and then, uh, yeah, just lift your hand. But even now, just if you want prayer, just lift your hand and somebody will come and pray for you, pray with you, or turn to the person next to you.